You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. So here we are. Um, we are in the gospel according to Mark. And last week, I, I shared that we are going to be in this series for just about a year. And over this past week, I, I had a handful of people asking me, so re- really, like a whole, okay, so a whole year in the gospel according to Mark. Why is that? Um, <laughs> and that's a, re- that's a good question. You see, uh, Jesus is ushering in the renewal of all things. And so what, what we desperately need and what we desire as a church is to sit with Jesus to actually like be with him, to become like him, to do what he did. But it's so easy to forget who this Jesus is. And so part of the reason why we're in Mark for this whole year is to be with Jesus. And, and yet in, um, in your scriptures, in the New Testament, you'll, you'll find that there are four different accounts of the, of the gospel. You'll say, well, really like four accounts for one dude that seems a bit narcissistic. I don't, I don't know, that's a bit, a bit, a bit much. Uh, well, just imagine that we had all gone to uh, the, the same concert, and just uh, imagine in your mind's eye, like, the best show you've been to, and that all of your friends were there. And then after the, sh- after the concert, you were asked by another person who wouldn't, wasn't there, what was it like? And you, you give your testimony, you share what that moment was like, but your friend, who was at the same thing, they have a little bit of a nuanced version. They have a little bit of a skewed thing. So was it the same show? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the same show. So it's the same Jesus. And yet he is like this richly textured person that, that one story wouldn't suffice. And so we have these stories coming at Jesus from different vantage points so that we might see him. And so we're here because we wanna sit with this Jesus. We want him to shape us and form us and, and actually do this transforming work in our hearts. And so that's, that's part of the reason. But the big thing is that I don't get to choose. Like I, I could shape, we, like our elders could shape a sermon series that says, okay, here are the needs of our church. So we're going to preach on this text and this and this and this, and that's good. But something happens as we open up God's word and he meets us through it. And so in one little verse this morning, we're, we're actually expectant that God would do that. And so before we, we get into this thing, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say a quick word of prayer and then we're, we're gonna dive in. Well, God, we, um, we once again, we, we just ask that you would meet us. We ask that, that you and you alone would be the one who helps us to see you clearly. God, we, we actually believe that you are alive from the dead that you have risen with power, that you are ascended and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father and that you have sent the gift of your spirit to draw us in to all truth, to point us to you, Jesus. And so spirit, through the power of the word of God, would you lead us to Jesus this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I just said, uh, this Jesus is such a richly textured person that one little text would not do. So yes, we are going to be in the gospel according to Mark for the next year, uh, but that's not all that there is. I mean, there's four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so let's, um, John, for example, he's going he's gonna to take and picture Jesus in a little bit of a different way. So you get this Jesus who 
he's coming up and he's making these announcements that he is the bread of life. He's calling himself the good shepherd. He's, he's saying that like streams of living water are going to pour out of me. He's, he's this Jesus that you wanna like, that you want to be with. You, you wanna snuggle up next to him. You, like you, you wanna be in the presence of the Jesus that, that the apostle of love that John is putting forward. But Mark, Mark is gonna do something a little bit different. And Mark is, he's gonna, He's going to contrast this image ever so slightly, and Jesus is going to have these rougher edges. And in the, the biblical imagination, if you think page one to the very last page, there's this role that captures these rough edges of Jesus. And in the biblical imagination, this role is called the prophet. And this is how Mark is going to cast Jesus. He's going to imagine Jesus as this prophet. And when I say prophet, do the best that you can to not think of a fortune teller, but in the Bible. Because the role of a prophet in the scriptures is this, this person, male and female alike, who are these mouthpieces for God. So they're going to call God's people back to God's self. So we have this uh, funny way of uh, having an ideal in our mind. We have maybe even desires to pursue the ideal, but then we get off course. We, we, we stray, we start to pursue our own ways. And so this is true of humanity for millennia. And so prophets would come along and they would invite people back to the truth, which is God's very self. And so this is how Mark is imagining this Jesus. He's inviting us to see Jesus as this prophet, but prophets would, would come, um, they would come in a little bit hot. See, prophets were known, they were known to just walk in, like waltz into king's courts. And you need an invitation to come into a king's courts, but prophets would just come right in. And then they would call the king corrupt. They would call the temple a sham, which by the way, if, you, if you're not like, uh, like a Bible nerd, the temple is like the hot spot of God's presence for the, the, the people of Israel. This is the place where in the Hebrew imagination that heaven, which is God's space and earth overlaps. So the temple is now called a sham by a prophet. That's like, a, that's a no-no. But this is what prophets would do. They would just come in unexpectedly and have these challenging words. And over the next year, this is, uh, this is what Jesus will bring to us. He will bring some challenging words. And it's easy to think that Jesus is just beating us over the head. But, but this, is, this is why, this is really why, Mark. Because Jesus is here to bring restoration, not condemnation. Th these words are, are words of warning. See, in moments of, of like trial and moments of trauma, our community over these past two years ha has been marked by some pretty challenging circumstances. I don't know if you can remember them. Um, one of them is actually coming up in a couple of weeks. On, on the 27th, um, that, that's going to be the anniversary of, of Grant's death. And so we need to be, des we are desperate to be reminded that God is a God of restoration, not a God of condemnation. And yet sometimes all we really want is to be consoled. And that's, go that's good. And yet Mark, he's going to come with both. He, he's going to come to kind of press us a little bit. And he's going to say, Jesus is here to bring restoration, but he's also here to call you back to faithfulness. He's here to wake us up a little bit. This is really why we're with Mark, because we need this prophetic presence of Jesus. But before Mark is going to unleash this Jesus on us, 
he's going to do this really gracious thing, and he's going to take us to our teaching text today. So um, if, if you want, you can follow along. It's just one verse, but you can flip or tap your way over there. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's read that again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, this morning, this is where we're headed. We are headed into the gospel of Jesus. And I, I really think that at the core of each of us, this is what we're after. Like, we, we are after the good news of Jesus. But we might not say it that way. <laughs> I think we're more likely to talk about it as we're trying to make sense of the world. We're, we're trying to order it and, and control it and try and explain it. And when we're really honest, we're trying to explain the mess that's in the world. And it's not just the mess that's out there. It's the mess that like leaks out the side as we yell at our roommates or our dog or our partner. Like we just, it's the mess that's in there and out there and in here. And so for Mark, this, this one verse, it's actually, it's going to take us into this whole story. So if we're, if we're willing, I think that this one little verse can actually reflect back to you God's desires for your life this morning, which sounds like so self-helpy, and I don't really want to say that. But this is what the gospel is. It's a news that would shape and reshape how you think about the world. And yet, for, for some of us, the gospel simply does not feel potent. That word doesn't feel weighty. It doesn't carry anything because we've heard it from like when we were knee high to a grasshopper and now it just, it, it lacks some, uh, it, it just kind of falls flat with us. And so maybe you hear that we're going into the gospel of Jesus and so you roll your spiritual eyes and you just get ready to like zone out or just scroll for the next little while. Let me, just, let me just invite you into this this morning. The, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, has you right where He wants you. He wants to meet with you through the Word. This is, this is the thing that makes Christianity so weird, is that we actually believe that God is at work, that He meets with us, and that He does it in this plain way of, of we open up the Scriptures and He's here, He's present to us. And, and no, notice, He's present to us through one another. And I think this is what God has for us this morning. And yet it can be hard to put our finger on what that thing is, like what we mean by the gospel. And, and as uh, early Christians were trying their best to make sense of this and articulate what, what, is it, what does this gospel mean? And as they were trying to share it with the, the people in their spheres of influence, th they came back time and time to this word, but it, it wasn't their own word. They, they ended up taking this existing framework and then they injected it with all sorts of new meaning from Jesus's life and, and, and Jesus's words and his works. And, and what they ended up doing is they ended up proclaiming the gospel. And this is where we're, we're going to lean in here because this is where the confusion comes. See, Mark's use of gospel in this one verse, it's not accidental. He's making this subversive cultural claim when he's writing in the 60s, 70s AD. And yet b between then and now, there's not just like a couple of millennia. There's this huge cultural gap that spans that time as well. Uh, and so for Mark, he needs 
to make this point that the gospel is more than you think it is. And we also need to make this point that the gospel is more than you think it is. But to help us get there, a, a brief word on the word gospel and a brief word on the context. And so the the word itself, uh, gospel, as it comes to us, is really nothing fantastical. Um, it's just two words in the Old English that are smushed together. You have got, which is good, and spell, tidings or news. And you put those together, and what do you get? Oh, gosh. We, let's, what, do you, what do you get? We can work with that one. Okay, so, so in the Greek, which is the language that the New Testament was originally written in, you get this word, euangelion. Can, can you say this with me? Euangelion. One, one more time. Euangelion. Yes, beautiful. Uh, so this Greek word is, is also not doing anything fantastical. It's just another compound word. It's squishing two words together. You have ou, which is good, and angelos, which is uh, messenger or, or news. And then you're going to have this good and news or good tidings squished together. And you get euangelion or, or good news. And okay, keep in focus here that the gospel is news. And I, I understand that in an era of like a 24-hour news cycle, it's really difficult to understand that news is significant because what you'll get is you'll get a breaking news story um, about the assassination of an Iranian general, and then you'll get a story on puppies. And then you'll have another breaking news story about some political scandal, and then you'll have a beauty pageant. So what, what happens is you have something serious next to something trivial and it all just starts to blend together and we don't really care. And yet we're nervous about the puppies and the beauty pageant as nervous as we are about the Iranian general. So it's like, it, it just, we're awash in blah. But the gospel is news. And so to help us remember news, real news is an event that fundamentally shifts how we see the world. And in turn, it does this. It opens us up to a whole new realm of possibilities. It's a shift that opens us up to a whole new realm of possibilities, a new way of living in the world. And this is the sort of news that Mark is on about. This is what the gospel is in Mark's mind. And as we continue in this, and we put this word and the context together, when the gospel would go out in Mark's day, it wasn't an exclusively religious claim like we might expect it to be. See, for Mark, a gospel is a political claim. So what would happen is there would be perhaps a, a new emperor coming onto the throne in Rome, or there would be a skirmish, a battle on the outskirts of the empire. And so a herald, a herald would go forth to announce this new news, to proclaim this good news of whatever may have happened, either an emperor or a battle being won. And just, just if you can, like imagine the anticipation. So you live in a, in a small village you live under Roman military occupation. And as, as such, your able-bodied men are, are now um, participants in the empire. And so this battle breaks out on the edges of the empire and your able-bodied men who, are, who you're dependent on for finance and agriculture, things of, the, of that sort, they're now called to battle on the, on the edges of the empire. And there's nobody there on the battlefront like live tweeting what's happening. So you have no idea what's going on. And there they are off in the distance. If you're an elderly person, a child, a woman, you are waiting with bated breath. You are scanning the horizon, waiting, not just for their return. You're waiting for the herald. 
you're waiting for the euangelion, so there, for this announcement, for this good news. So there's this anticipation and hope and longing all just pent up in this. And just uh, so you don't think I'm like making this stuff up, we have uh, people who dig in the dirt, they find these like stone tablets with words on them. It's amazing. Uh, and then they translate these words into English and we have one of these euangelions that went out. And it's not a, about a battle, it's not about a new emperor, but it is about a shift. And so uh, read this with me, not aloud, just listen while I read. Uh, so this is from Priene's inscription. It says this, this is an euangelion. Since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipation, surpassing all previous benefactors and not leaving to posterity or uh, future generations, any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him, which Asia resolved in Smyrna. And the inscription goes on. See, in this case, in this little inscription, again, it's, it's not a battle. It's, it's not a new emperor. It's a birthday card. And this little birthday card is telling us that the whole calendar's just shifted. So this, this Caesar Augustus, shifts the whole calendar three days so that the new year aligns with his birthday because apparently when you're the emperor of Rome, you can make yourself the center of everything. And so this is what he does. And so it, it fundamentally shifts the way that the whole empire would function. It's all in reflection. Uh, like he is the reflection point of the whole empire now. And this may sound odd to us, even weird to like hear in a sermon on a Sunday, but, but this, is, this is what Mark is after. And because this is the backdrop. So when Mark says that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, his listeners, and in that context, they would have, they would have been surprised. They, would have, they, they maybe even were wondering, is, can, can you do this? I thought only Rome could issue these types of reports. So just look again at our teaching text and see if, see if you see why it is so suspicious, why it is so subversive. We read this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So do you see it? If you don't, it's, it's abundantly clear now. Uh, and since the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the good tidings for the world. See, the, the same claim that Rome is making, Mark comes along and he says, I, I actually have something more true. I have something more sure. I have something with more hope. But it, it goes by a different name. It goes by the name of Jesus. So this is cultural appropriation of an entirely different kind. And the gospel of Mark in verse one, it's, it's cluing us in to that just beneath the surface, there's something shaking. That peace actually has a true end without a sword. It's, it's Jesus. And this is, this is where we sit this morning to meet with this Jesus who wouldn't say that peace comes by victory. Either you get on board or we kill you, which by the way, that's not what we say here. <laughs> like that's not, we embrace a gospel that says Jesus actually allowed the spear to be plunged into his own side. He, he took our evil into himself to be for us who we can never be. He stands in our place when we simply do not want to. 
This is, this is the claim. This is the subversive nature of, Gar- of, of Mark. And so that's how this gospel, it disrupts both their conceptions of the good news and it disrupts our conceptions of the good news here in the 21st century because the gospel is not like an incantation that you speak over your life to release you from the grips of hellfire. It's not just something you say to evacuate you from earth to like get out of this gross place and then get up to the heavens. No, the story of this whole thing is that heaven, God's space is invading earth, our space, and it comes together in and through Jesus. This is the picture of the reunification of all things. This is what Jesus is making new. This is the news that is at hand. But a dude who's way smarter than me, he says it this way. This is David Garland. He says, the gospel refers to the story about Jesus narrated in the text. It comprises his words, deeds, death, and resurrection as God's direct intervention into human history. So it's the whole thing. It's every, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the whole gospel. It's that direct intervention in human history. But he goes on, it, this is the gospel. It challenges an imperial cult propaganda that promotes a message of good tidings and a new age of peace through the Roman emperor. So that, that doesn't really sound like the gospel that, um, that I'm aware of. <laughs> like, that's not the gospel that I heard. Um, I, I received a two-part gospel. One, um, that I'm a sinner. And two, which is, which is totally true. You spend like five minutes with me and you'll know that's true. So I received that. And then um, that if I'm a sinner, that there's a, there's a means of salvation for my sin to get me to heaven. So I heard that gospel. I didn't hear a gospel about like subversive imperial cult stuff. So just picture this. Uh, tomorrow's Monday, just FYI, and uh, this scene is going to play itself out. You're, you're, uh, you're getting yourself ready at your desk. I don't know, like you're preparing yourself for class, and the Monday question comes. So, uh, oh, um, so how was your weekend? What would you do? So actually, it was kind of a wild weekend. Well, not Saturday, not so much. Uh, yeah, I just like went for sushi with friends and that was lovely. But then S- Sunday, Sunday was bizarre. Like I, I this, like my whole world was disrupted. I, I, I heard that Jesus challenged the imperial cult propaganda in the Roman empire, that he's, he's also challenging the, like the empire of my own heart. And then I like, I, 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 I don't know. I just, I just, this Jesus was so compelling. I, I'm just, I chose to trust him and now I feel this fundamental shift to like live and love differently. It was a, it was a wild weekend, uh, but how about you? We, we would never do this. Partially because most of us have like come to terms with Jesus in this two-part gospel where we're a sinner and we need to be evacuated out of here to get to heaven. But what if, what if heaven is coming to invade earth? And that's what Mark is on about. See, the reality of Mark's gospel, it it may sound odd to us, but Mark is here to remind us that this Jesus, this Jesus Messiah, the son of God, he is on the loose, not just to confront Rome of the first century and the empire there. He is here to confront the empires of our own hearts. Because wherever his presence goes, wherever the prophetic presence of Jesus goes, that's like calling out sin and calling us back to God, there too goes the hope of a new beginning. 
Because it's, remember, it's not condemnation, it's restoration. So this is the Jesus we're meeting with. And every word, see, if that, if that all sounds a bit, a bit fuzzy, let's just um, unpack this little verse here. Because every word and phrase in, in verse one, it's going to do a few things. It's, it's going to look at a story and then it's gonna draw it into a whole new reality. And so Mark, he's gonna look all the way back to page one of the Bible and the story of Eden and the first creations and he's gonna draw it into something new in Jesus. And then he's gonna look to the promises of God to the people of Israel who he chose to be a light to the nations to themselves to be like this presence that would draw people into the goodness of God. And then he's gonna take that and he's gonna reframe it in light of Jesus. And then he's gonna look to empire and he's gonna look to Rome and he's gonna, he's gonna draw all of the hope and anticipation that's there. And he's gonna place all of it on Jesus's shoulders and imagine it afresh in light of him. And so let's, let's actually get into this. So let me just show you how Mark does this. So this is storyline one. Look again at Mark chapter one, verse one. And look at this first word here, the first two words, the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we may not uh, recognize it as such, but this is a literary genius on display. So what, what Mark is doing here in this one word beginning is he is, it's like this hyperlink that when you come to it, it's like when you're on a Wikipedia page and you're uh, reading about like Princess Diana or something like that, because I know that's, that's what we do in our spare time. Um, super random, keep going, Kyle. So you're on this Wikipedia page about Princess Di and you're, then you see this hyperlink to like, I don't know, something about England. And so you click it and you're like, oh, there it goes. That's also how my brain works. And so th- this is what's happening with Mark. He puts this giant hyperlink right there, the beginning. And he transports us all the way back to page one of the scriptures, which says, in the beginning, God. And it goes on. In the beginning. And and what's interesting is in in the Greek, which is that language the New Testament was originally written in, Mark, he uses this word arche. And when the Hebrew Bible is being translated into the Greek for this Greek-speaking world, um, the same word is gonna be used. And so those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they're like, hold hold on, like Mark, did you know that this is the same line in Genesis one? And I bet Mark would go, duh, Um, because this is what he's doing. He's cluing us in that whatever's going to happen here, whatever's going on with this Jesus of Nazareth, it is linked to the new beginning. It is, it is a link that the new creation is coming in and through Jesus. And Mark, he doesn't like stop right here as though that's enough. He's gonna continue to time and time again through the gospel according to Mark. He's gonna link us back to that new creation is breaking out in Jesus. Um, let's just check out like one of these. So this is just jump down a few verses into verse nine. And we read this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Stop right there. Um, When was the last time that you remember in the scriptures, the spirit descending like a dove? This isn't rhetorical. Boom. Boom. Yeah, it's, it's Genesis. It's, so what Mark is doing here is he's saying, no, it's not just one instance, it's time and time again. We're gonna be drawn back into the story of new beginnings. Just um, 
just for funsies, let's just go back. Go to Genesis, just go to uh, page one of your Bible. Verse two. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, this little line where the the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, it's going to be translated the same way, that the Spirit was like a dove over the face of the waters. This gospel is about new creation. It's about heaven breaking into earth, about God's space and invading human space. But that's not all because it goes on. It says it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is storyline two. And this this word Christ or Messiah in the Hebrew, it, it brings about this language of kingship. It's this royal title. And for these royal people, they were typically dipped in oil, which might sound extremely odd for us, but it's this idea of being set apart. It's this anointing. And in the Hebrew imagination, those who are dipped in oil, those who are anointed to lead, find their climax in this character of the Messiah, this ultimate hope who would come to defeat evil, who would establish a new Jerusalem, which would be the dwelling place of God amongst men. And then it would, he would bring peace to all the nations. He would bring healing and he would bring justice forever. And we often forget this, but Israel was never the end goal. Like God didn't choose Abraham and his family thereafter to just be a blessing to them. No, these people were chosen to be a blessing to the nations. So um, you are not the end goal. Um, Just say this one more time in in a loving way. You're not the end goal. You are a part of this whole story of new creation. God is interested in drawing out the fullness of who you are to be a gift to the person to your right and to your left, to the person in the cubicle across the way, to the stranger on the bus. Like you are actually, God is saying, you bear my image and I want you to be a blessing to the nations. And you know what's interesting about uh, that statement is here we are in the middle of America and um, the nations have come to us. There's like 20 something dialects that are spoken in one tiny little neighborhood, not too far from us. The nations have come to us so that, so that we might be a blessing to them by showing up, by, by just being present, by being the love of Jesus to them. And as cliche as that may sound, it's actually true, which is sometimes how cliches work. But this is the story of the Christ. And I I love how Scott McKnight puts this. He says that the gospel is the saving, forgiving story of Jesus as the completion of Israel's story. That this Jesus is actually the fulfillment of Israel's story. See, but, but new creation and healing to the nations, they don't quite capture all of what John, or excuse me, what Mark is hopeful to unleash in this Jesus. And so we go to storyline three, which is the story of Rome. And so we come back to our teaching text. It's at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And if you're anything like me, when I hear this term son of God, it really smacks of religiosity. And sure, like in the Old Testament, there's gonna be some prophets who talk about the son of God pointing to the Messiah. But when I hear this term son of God, all it does in me is like make me recoil a little bit. 
I think it's because I don't really know what to do with it. But remember, Mark is making this subversive claim in verse one. He's like ruffling everybody up. He's rubbing up against people in the wrong way with the rough edges of Jesus's prophetic presence. And so this son of God comes because Mark in his day, man, this, this phrase would have been on the loose. Just remember our inscription. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world, who's the God? Yeah, who's the God? Yeah, Augustus is the God. So in the Roman Empire and how they think about how the world functions, Caesar is the go-between. He is the bridge between heaven and earth, the, the divine and humanity, not some Jesus. And this story is so deeply entrenched into the life of these people, it's on their money. You can tell a lot about uh, what, what people value or what they think they value when you just look at their currencies. Um, and so this scripture, Divius Filius, would be all over the money. And, it's this, this, and on the face, you would have Caesar Augustus. On one side, you'd have this Divius Filius, son of God. He's saying every time you make a transaction, you're actually making a transaction with me and mine, the son of God. So this is, this is like deeply entrenched in their culture. And yet Mark, with this quiet rumble, is beginning to shake loose this foundation story of Rome. And then what Mark does, it's beautiful. He, he says, um, excuse me, Rome, you're wrong. And there is a true son of God. And his name is Jesus. And it's Jesus the Christ. And we would think there's nothing really wrong about making that claim. But if you, uh, if you make the claim to be king while a king is already on the throne, that's insurrection. That's dangerous. And that's exactly what Mark is doing. He says, Jesus is the true Lord. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the new beginning. Or to say it another way, in Jesus, the renewal of all things is breaking out. This gospel, it's not just like some religious claim. This isn't something that we just say to like make ourselves feel the warm fuzzies, but the gospel is actually calling out all of the empires of the world. It's calling out the Americas of the day. It's calling it out on a massive scale. It's calling out the empire of our own hearts that says, I want to be a king. I want to be a queen. I want to establish what is good and what is evil. And then I want to live in accordance with that. Jesus, you can come along if you get on board with my rules, but otherwise, no thank you. Just, just think, about, if you think I'm just like blowing smoke here, uh, think about the Christian, historical Christian sex ethic. So we're, uh, caucuses are upon us here. Um, how many people on the left and the right are advocating for a, uh, like the historic Christian sex ethic? Nobody. You know Why? Because it's crazy to a world that sees like, no, 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 just be true to yourself. But the gospel of Mark is saying, be true to King Jesus. This is the Jesus we follow who makes a claim on our sexuality. So he's confronting the empires of the world and the empires of our own hearts. And you see, um, 
this is a danger. I don't know if you can like sense that this is a dangerous gospel or that you might be offended over the next year by this Jesus. Um, I'm actually I was, I, um, pretty nervous to preach this because we're like, this is week 10. <laughs> I still don't really know all your stories. I don't know what, like, what damage has been done to you or that you have done in the lives of others. But remember, it's not condemnation. The movement of Jesus in the world is towards restoration. He came to actually take his judge, our judgment into himself. He came to suffer with and for us, even unto death. And, it, and is it surprised that Jesus was actually hung on a Roman execution rack? Like Rome just thinks of Jesus as another prisoner, another criminal hung on a rack. And yet he's so much more says Mark. See, this, the scriptures do make the claim that our sin needs to be dealt with. This is like, you couldn't talk, if you don't talk about sin in the same conversation of the gospel, you're not actually talking about the gospel. So the scriptures do make a claim on our sin. And they say that the wages for sin is death. And this is why the gospel of Jesus is so good, but it's also why it's so scandalous. You see, if you are oppressed, the gospel is, is sweet. But if you're the oppressor, the gospel is fatal. And the challenge for us is that we are both. We stand as oppressor. Just think about, so this morning we're driving here and um, as I'm, the snow came, this is a silly story, but it'll help make my point in a light way. Um, We're backing down the driveway and I just have like this pride over the way I cleared the snow. Like, yes, it's, it's bone dry. And I'm looking at our neighbors I'm just like, these chumps still got snow everywhere. What do you know about that? And I just go, oh no, I'm going to preach on the gospel. And here I am judging all of my neighbors. See, it's in these subtle ways that we tear down the character of people, that we oppress them. So I don't even know, like I'm still meeting our neighbors. But George across the way, he just used a snow, but didn't throw any salt down. I'm like, step your game up, George. And in a silly way, like I'm tearing, so the, I stand as oppressed and oppressor because I guarantee that I'm not the only one. Maybe in this room, apparently I'm the only one who's leveling judgment. Um, but, but this is why the gospel is so scandalous because we actually stand as both. And yet to receive Jesus, it is to reckon with our sin. It is to be free from the shackles of sin and death. And this is why Mark is here. This is why Mark, he's to point us to this Jesus who will rub us the wrong way, but he will say that restoration is sure to come in his name. So this is the Jesus we're gonna meet over the next year. How you feeling about that? So Jesus' prophetic presence it always leads to the hope of resurrection life. See, the wages of sin may be death. Well, Jesus dealt with that death on the cross, taking into himself all of the judgment, all of the wrath, so that we might stand in the victory of the cross, not in condemnation, because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. This is the hope of the gospel. And this is the gospel that meets us right here and right now. It's deeper than our shame. It is wider than our guilt. It not only pronounces like a verdict of grace over our lives, it invites us to live out of that grace, which is a free gift. 
there's nothing that we do to muster up this grace. It is just lavished on us. Jesus is inviting us, Gateway, to embrace this and know that we're not the end goal. That God's grace is actually for your neighbor. That God's grace is for your cousin and your coworker and your partner. That, that God's grace is meant to spill out of your life so that as you say, yes, 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 I have an empire in my own heart and Jesus has come. He has come to dethrone me so that I might follow him into newness of life. And as you live out of this newness of life, there's actual renewal that breaks into our city. You see, we have, you see on a sign when you come in, it says we're joining God in the renewal of all things. The gospel is at the center of that. And so the hope, gateway, the hope is that we might actually embrace this reality. And yet sometimes it's hard to picture this. So um, as we kind of land our time, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read from, um, from the end. We've, we've covered how... Mark points us to the beginning, but I just want to see what the end of this restoration. I want us as a community to hear what this restoration of all things looks like, what it sounds like, what it might even feel like for you this morning to hear that God is making all things new. Not all new things. It's, it's not like turn of, it's, it's all things new. That's you and that's me. And so if you would, if you would just close your eyes and allow these verses from Revelation to be read over you. This is in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And we're just going to go on. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Behold, I am making all things new. This story, this story of Eden and of Israel and of Rome coming together in Jesus is beckoning us. It is calling us. It is desperately playing with each and every one of us to see Jesus as the way into restoration. 
You cannot restore yourself. You cannot. You can try. But you cannot. This Jesus has come to be your restoration. He's come to be my restoration, to invite us into all things new. And we need to remember this. We need to take this into ourselves. We need to sing songs of joy about this. We need to sing aloud. We need to like actually believe that this is true. And God gives us this gift of faith. And I'm just praying that today this would be true for us, that, we, that faith would well up in our hearts. Not that we could like somehow get it in 2020 and like muster up the strength to do it, to like hashtag 2020 clear vision from a new me. No, it's gonna be the same you. Unless from glory to glory, from moment to moment, Jesus by the power of his spirit is transforming you. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.